You're doing great. All right. I don't know how you follow that. I mean, I think we could just shut it all down and go home. I think we got the message. You know, you don't need 25 minutes of me. Um, But good morning. Uh, My name is Ash. I get the privilege of being on staff here. Um, And so it's my delight um, to welcome you to worship, whether you're here with us in person or you're joining us online or you're watching this several days, weeks, months later, because maybe something crazy will happen, like I'll have a baby and then I'll be like YouTube famous and then our church will just become crazy. Um, But we're hoping that doesn't happen. But if you didn't know, I'm expecting a kid in just about, I, I, I think it's like 12 days or maybe something like that, somewhere 15 what is 16 okay great I'm just hoping it happens before 16 days so um, I don't keep track anymore but somewhere in there but you can pray for me that it will happen sooner rather than later um, and not on Christmas although that would be exciting Um, the other thing you should know is I'm gonna do my best to breathe but that's you know it just gets challenging the the more we get closer so I'm gonna do my best but We are in the middle of our Advent series, the third week um, of Advent, and we've been calling it kind of anticipation and waiting and hope, and I had the privilege of sharing a couple of weeks ago, and I said, you know, I really love Advent. I love the season. I love the themes of it. It's all really exciting to me, but I don't like to wait. And one of my dear friends came up to me afterwards, and he said, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense that you love Advent, but you don't like to wait. And I said, touche, I I, I get where you're going with that, but isn't that kind of what the whole liturgical calendar is? It's just a bunch of waiting. So it doesn't matter if it's Advent, doesn't matter if it's Lent, we're all just waiting, okay? So um, this morning we're continuing on in that series with this theme of certain hope. Um, And really kind of this concept of, of joy. We lit the joy candle this morning. And I'll be honest about something else. Uh, joy is probably one of the most challenging emotions for me. Um, I'm not like my dear colleague Jenny Fleetmeyer who has great joy. You just see it in her. I'm more of kind of swimming in probably sadness and maybe just seriousness is what we'll go with, but not joy. So Again, I'm going to do my best to sort of breed joy in us this morning, but I think what we see in joy is one of those things that we do often. It's kind of how we feel about anticipation. It's either really exciting um, and fun, or it's really hard. So either we're anticipating Christmas and we're a young child and it's the most exciting thing of December, or I'm anticipating the birth of a kid and I'm really just looking forward to being done being pregnant, or it's the worst thing ever. You know, there's still 16 more days until this little girl can make her appearance, or there's people that we're going to have to spend the holidays with that we're not looking forward to. And we often tend to put things on these extremes, right? Things are either really amazing or they're really hard. And sometimes that's how we can approach the Christmas season in general of it's either lots of highs or really low lows. 
and we sort of pin them against them. But what we've been doing and what Advent really is meant to do is to get in touch with this in-between time. This time between the first Advent, which we'll celebrate on December 24th, of Jesus coming in the form of a little baby and moving into our world. And in between that, is this second coming that we're awaiting where Jesus will return and make all things new. But if I can be honest, we don't like the in-between. We like to pin things on the walls of extremes. But Advent, if we can get in touch with it, if we can lean into what it really means, which is to come face to face with we are there, but we are not there yet. I think God can do some of his most transformative work. If we look throughout scripture, those in-between times in the life of those who went before us were where God did some of his most transforming work. They submitted to the process of what God had for them. And it wasn't easy. There were certainly moments of great joy. And then there were certainly moments of great difficulty. But they let God transform them in this in-between time. And I think what we'll learn about joy this morning in Scripture is that it lives not on the extremes, but in the in-between as well. There are certainly moments of great joy, and God promises us that. And then there's this little thing that we see throughout Scripture where it commands us to be joyful. When I think of a promise versus a command, I feel the promises of God are something that I am somewhat entitled to as a child of God. If I promise my son that he's going to get something, there's almost a 100% guarantee that that's going to happen. But if I command or I'm commanded to do something, I have a participatory role. I have to lean into something. And what we're going to learn about joy is there's the promises, and then there's the command. And the command often, more often than not, lives in that in-between space where God is doing something, but it's not done yet. It's the advent. And so this morning, we're continuing on in sort of this this season and this um, kind of essence of looking at the lectionary. And so we have Old Testament scriptures and New Testament scriptures. And this morning, one of our Old Testament scriptures is from Zephaniah. And what I love and have loved about getting to learn about Zephaniah is that it's not the most uplifting book, but what we're going to read this morning is really uplifting. And I think that that paints this great picture for us of what we tend to do. We tend to rush right past all of the difficulty or the in-between or sort of the harsh words sometimes of God towards his people, all in the name of getting them to see that he is with them and he loves them. And so this morning I could read you Zephaniah 3, 14 through 20, which I'm going to do in just a second, But I want us to not miss what came before it. Zephaniah spent about two chapters and half of chapter three warning the people. Talking about the desolation and the destruction around them. Of them turning away from God. He gets real with them. And then 
And only then does he come with these words that says, Sing, daughter of Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all of your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and a reproach for you. At that time, I will deal with those who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exile. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. Friends, I think this piece of scripture actually holds its deepest significance when we hold it in its context. I think the coming of Jesus holds the deepest significance when we hold it in its context. That we are desperate for a savior. That some 2,000 years ago when Jesus broke into the scene, they had been waiting and longing for a Messiah. Zephaniah is telling these people they have been longing and waiting for the relentless love of God upon them. And if we just read this scripture by itself, we miss the goodness and the joy of God. But when we put it in the context of these people were waiting to hear the good news of God, for him to say, I will bring you home, I will rescue the lame, I will come after the exile. When they heard that in the context of what Zephaniah had been telling them, it felt like a huge relief. It felt like good news. And often I think we get into the Christmas season and we run, run right to December 25th. We skip over the fact that we live in a world that is broken and difficult. That the holidays don't always translate to beautiful and wonderful and all things joy. But when we put these scriptures in the context of God is still with us and giving mercy and kindness to us amidst our turning away from him, it all of a sudden becomes a beautiful story. And friends, Isaiah does a similar thing. So my dear friends, the prophets, I really love them. They spend a lot of time kind of talking about all of the terrible things that are going to happen. That's kind of how I roll. And then they get this kind of one um, chapter where they pull out like their best joy and hope. And so, again, we don't want to miss what Isaiah spent the first 11 chapters talking about, which is that these people of Israel had turned away, that they had lost sight. And there was all of this other stuff sort of mixed in there. Isaiah, you, you know this, in 9 and 10 and 11, he talks about the foretold promise of Jesus coming. 
that he'll come from the line of David. He'll be a branch of Jesse. All of that is in there. But it also talks a lot about what sort of situation the people of Israel had gotten themselves into. That they had turned away. That it wasn't looking so good for them. And Isaiah, he does this really great word where he draws joy and salvation together. So go ahead and I'm going to read this to you. But look for the ways that Isaiah pulls together joy and salvation. It says, surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. So why does Isaiah tie joy and salvation together? Why does he say that, um, sorry, going backwards here. Why does he say um, that the Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and defense. He has become my salvation with joy. You will draw water from the wells of salvation. You and I don't really often have to go to a well to get our water. But we know from other stories in scripture that water was always a necessity. That it always seemed like there was never enough. And that God often used it as a reminder to people of his presence and his witness with them. And so when Isaiah says that you will draw from the wells of salvation, and it will breed joy among you. I see this picture of these two things tied together, that joy is not a mere feeling or experience or happiness, but it is our salvation. And when we root our joy and our salvation, I think it begins to change what it means. It becomes less of a um, something we have to do, but something that we get to receive. It's a promise of God. But what I know about salvation is that it's not just this end game, but it's a present game. It's a past game. It's a forward game. We are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And that's the good news, my friends. That's what breeds joy. Salvation is where God steps into our reality and he brings dead things to life. This builds and brings joy into us. I think if we started to tell the story of God breaking into our world and bringing dead things to life, it should breed joy. It should feel like good news. We don't just need to be saved from our sin. We need to be saved from disease. We need to be saved from a pandemic. We need to be saved from the brokenness of relationships. We need to be saved from a number of things. And friends, we have good news. We have something that can do something about that. 
And I think often I look around our world and people are trying to muster up this joy for the Christmas season and they go, I just don't have it. There has to be more. I've lost the wonder that kids have. Because the world is broken and it's in desperate need of saving. It's in desperate need of God breaking into its world. It needs things to come back to life that seem like they've been destroyed and left for dead. And so we see God telling us that he is with us and that joy comes from him breaking into our world. See, I think there's this great story that we haven't spent much time in the actual Christmas story itself, right? Where we haven't looked at the shepherds and Mary and Joseph. And, um, and so I just couldn't resist um, bringing it back. But there's this story where the shepherds are out in the field. And what we know about the shepherds is they were probably just teenagers. They were caring for sheep, and an angel appears to them in Luke 2, and he says, they, he says this, the angel says this, um, it says that joy, I gotta find it in my notes, so sorry, or is it on the screen from Luke 2? Oh yeah, that's a lot of words. Okay, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause joy for all the people. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. Friends, we see God promising great joy for all people. Christmas should feel like good news for all people. And I think when we think about joy being tied to this good news, I think we can learn two things in this sort of commandment of joy and the promise of joy. We see two things. One, we saw it in the Zephaniah scripture and in the Isaiah scripture that God is near to us that he is with us, that he broke into the world and started life alongside us, that he walked the world that we walk. And so because when we rejoice, we remember that God is near and that God is with us. And the second thing I think we learn is that we need not be afraid. We see him reminding them in the Zephaniah and the Isaiah scripture to not be afraid, to not be afraid. Fear is pervasive along our world. Anxiety is off the charts. We need to be reminded, one, that God is with us, but two, that we need not be afraid. That despite all of the circumstances that we have landed ourselves in, there is good news of God coming to us, of him bringing life to what was dead. And so when we orient and we step into this commandment of rejoicing, I think we remember that God is near and we need not be afraid. And I think you see that in Paul's verses in Philippians that you all know. 
You say it probably to your kids or you've said it to your kids over and over and over again. Or you've preached it to yourself because it doesn't necessarily always feel or ring true. The rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone because the Lord is near. I can think of times in my life where the world felt like it was falling apart and someone just sort of totes that off at me. Rejoice, Ash. Find the joy. And I wonder how many folks around us this season feel like they're just being pushed joy upon them. And friends, I agree. Sometimes we have to preach to ourselves. We have to remind ourselves. We have to step in to not just the promise, but the command. But we also need to place it in its context. That we have good news that the Lord is near and that he is with us and we need not be afraid. This week, I, much like many young parents, spent some time watching the Polar Express. Anybody else seen it? Yeah. Um, It's a great movie. If you haven't watched it, I recommend you do. But there's this great scene where the little boy has sort of, he's, he's been out on this hunt to try and determine whether or not Santa is real. Or does, what's the magic of Christmas? I think what we see in this little boy is there has to be more. Like this can't just be what I think it is. And when he arrives sort of at the North Pole, there's this scene where he's jumping up and down and all of the kids are screaming and the elves are sort of dancing. And he's standing there going, I can't see him. I can't see him. And then all of the sudden... Santa sort of like comes into view, but there's the bell scene, right? Where the bells are ringing on the reindeer. And the little girl looks at him and says, isn't that the most beautiful thing you've ever heard? And he can't hear it. He can't see and he can't hear. And so all of a sudden the bell flies off and the little boy goes and picks it up and he starts shaking it and he hears nothing. And then all of a sudden, He looks at it and he goes, I believe. I believe. And he rings the bell again and all of a sudden he hears it. Friends, I don't know about you, but I certainly have moments this holiday season where I ring the bell and I just don't have it. Just don't. And I'm desperate to lean into, Lord, I believe that the good news of your son breaking into our world really does change realities. It changes lives. It's actually good news for everyone. So my challenge to us this Advent season is one, ring the bell. Surrender. Say, I believe and I place it in the context of I need the good news of Jesus. Not just a blanket, but I specifically need God to come in and break into my world in this place. Get specific. Get real. Get honest. 
I need this holiday gathering. I need the empathy and compassion of God to well up within me as I spend time with this person. God, I need you to bring something to life that just seems dead. I believe. And I think the other thing I want to challenge us to look for is the people that we do life with, that we know are looking for a way, or they go, there has to be more to this Christmas season. How did we get here? How did we get to the trees and the elves on the shelves and the, the, the thousands of presents for kids? And, and how did we get here? How did this turn into Christmas? What, what was the story or sort of the crucible that this came out of? Friends, you have the good news of that. You have the real truth. You can help people believe and see the more. You get to tell them and show them an offering of God can step into your world and change your reality. That's Christmas. Jesus broke into our world in the form of a little baby. And don't lose sight of that story in its context. If we just talk about Jesus' birth without talking about the thousands of years and promises and prophecies awaiting him, it loses its power, friends. Place it. Remember that those people were awaiting an, a Messiah. That they were awaiting God to heal and restore them. That they were waiting for good news. And we too some 2,000 years later, are waiting for his return. We're waiting for him to break into our world and make all things new. That's worth inviting your friends to on December 24th. That's a story worth telling your neighbors about. That's a story for me to remind my young son who's two and just cares about presents about. Friends, we have the answer of God being near, and we need not be afraid. So let me pray for us, and then we'll continue on this morning. God, we are grateful that you broke into our world thousands of years ago and reminded us of the truth. We're thankful that you are a God who brings things to life when they feel dead and stagnant. God, would you awake the wonder and the excitement and the joy of this Christmas season in us? Would we believe, would we lean into and ask for you to come alive in real ways? We pray for our friends who are eager and looking for more, that we would have opportunity to remind them that you are near and they need not be afraid. We pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.